Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We saw thousands of pro-life Americans gather in our nation's capital for the annual March for Life. This comes as we are approaching the anniversary of Roe vs. Wade. And we know that Democrats are going to make abortion a big issue heading into the presidential election. We saw them do it successfully to some degree in the midterm elections. So we have to figure out a way as Republicans to go on the offense to talk about being pro-life proudly. I want you to take a listen to this interview. Why do you not see rape and incest as areas for potential carve-outs, even if you are pro-life? First, I think both of those instances are horrifying. And fortunately, they're extremely rare. It happens. And any time it happens, it's horrifying. It's a tragedy. But I personally and honestly and deeply believe that all human life is worthy of protection, irrespective of the circumstances in which that human life was created. It so is what, more faith than it oh, is so science. What, well, they can't say it will be human life. What would it become then? You're talking it about the potential of it. it become, when it is an actual human being. I'm not saying what my <laughs> position is on it. I am also a Catholic. What I'm telling you well, is... I can tell you this. No, I can tell you this, that every single one of us started at that same stage, that it can't become anything other than a human but being. But it is about and that science. It's neither up to you nor I nor any politicians to decide that we're we're going to allow this life to move forward and this life not to. That Senator Marco Rubio from years ago in an interview with CNN, I, I think it's one of the best interviews I've heard to date of someone proudly standing for their pro-life views. So we're going to have Senator Marco Rubio on the show today to talk to him about how should Republicans message on this issue? What should the message be heading into the presidential election? We're also going to get his take on all things foreign policy as instability continues to increase in the Middle East, particularly as we see Pakistan and Iran conducting strikes on each other. Why are they doing that? How concerned should you be? We'll also talk about China, Iran, and Russia growing closer under President Biden. What does that mean for our future and the future of the world? He recently endorsed President Trump, so we'll talk to him about why he decided to do that and what he's looking for this presidential election. So all of that and so much more with Senator Marco Rubio from my home state of Florida. Stay tuned. Well, Senator Marco Rubio, it's awesome to have you on the show, particularly as a, well, I've been in Florida for 
I guess three and a half years, so a, a newer Floridian. So it's great to have uh, my home state senator on the show. So appreciate you making the time. I'm glad to do it. We were talking before we got started about how uh, I've gotten really soft with the weather. <laughs> we've yeah. had a cold, we've had a cold front here in, in Miami, and uh, you know it's like 60 degrees now. I put a turtleneck on, so. I know. I know. It's, uh, you know, every now and then we'll get like one of these weird things that come down and it'll get to like the 20s or the 30s, but it's very rare. But you, you will, um, you know, at 50 or whatever, it's, uh, you know, people start like bringing out fur coats and, you know, thermal underwear and all that kind of stuff. And it, it isn't cold until the iguanas. I don't know if you've seen that phenomenon yet, but at a certain temperature, like iguanas fall out of the trees because they're cold blooded and they can't regulate. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that yet. Yeah, I read an article and it said that uh, I guess there's been stories where people have uh, collected them and like put them in their cars and then they've woken up and like attacked or something. I know. So yeah. they're, they're not in good mood when they wake up. Yeah. yeah so leave the iguanas alone. Uh, right. Important lesson. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get into the, the bigger news, uh, you know, outside of uh, iguanas. Uh, you know, Senator, we're coming up on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, I, wa- I, I rewatched your CNN interview on abortion. I think it was from like eight years ago uh, before this morning, you know, before interviewing you. I, I think it was one of the best interviews I've seen from a Republican to date on the issue. Why, why do you think Republicans struggle so much uh, on talking about pro-life and, and talking about this issue? Well, I think in general, anytime you're on defense, you're losing. And a lot of times, you know, I always go to people and say, all right, well, there's two things that we need to point to. The first is that if you don't believe that, if you believe that abortion should be legal, then what restrictions would you agree to? No one ever asked that question. The media doesn't ask that question. And most Democrats are never asked the question of what restrictions would you support? Because they love to talk about total bans, six-week bans, 15-week bans. What they won't tell you is that in order to get the endorsement of all of these pro-abortion groups, you have to basically be for abortion at any time, for any reason, paid for by taxpayers. I mean, that, that in essence is the position of these groups. And, um, and, and the, you can't get the endorsement of any of these pro-abortion groups if you don't say that. So, and no one ever challenges these people on that. Will they at least agree on a restriction of some kind? Because the overwhelming majority of Americans, even those who say they support abortion rights, will say, but there's, got, there's some limit, right? You can't do it like the day before the due date or eight months or what have you. So I think the first part about it is that. And I think the second uh, challenge that we face is, look, this is not about passing judgment on anyone. This is not about trying to impose anything on anyone. This is a pretty straightforward choice. And that is, you know, we've got a complicated issue here. You have oftentimes you know, very difficult circumstances uh, that, that, that a, a woman is facing. And then you've got the fundamental right to live. And you've got to balance and decide, OK, when these two things are in conflict, which one of these two rights wins out? And I don't I don't have any shame in saying that I think the right to live needs to win out. Now, in addition to that, I think we have to understand that um, when it comes to abortion, it, the, the pro-choice people are actually not pro-choice because what they are basically arguing is that for most people, abortion is the only choice that they're presented. And oftentimes by making it look like or making it sound like or, 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 or just uh, making it, you know, creating a scenario where a child is somehow a burden, somehow a, a, a terrible thing that's happening. And so I do think those of us who are pro-life, it's incumbent upon us to say, not only do we think you have a right to choose not to have an abortion, but we need to recognize that no child should ever be considered a burden, should be considered a, a bad situation. And we need to be supportive of people who find themselves in those circumstances. You know, what can we do to ensure that these men that are fathering children 
are living up to their responsibility on child support and not just taking off. You know, what are we doing if a young woman is in college and wants to finish her schooling to be supportive? We, we need to be supportive of people, not just when they decide not to have an abortion, but, but also all the things that come with it. Yeah. You know, I, I loved how, you know, cause he was basically saying, arguing about when life begins and, and you're like, well, what do you think it turns into a cat? You know, like it's like, a, yeah. it, it, it seems like such common sense yet we have found ourselves in this strange, you know, conversation about what is a life and, you know, and it used to be safe, legal and rare. And, and now it's like up until the moment of birth, maybe even, at, you know, it's like, how, how did we get here? You know, how did the left get here more, more specifically? Well, I think part of it, too, is that in order to justify something like this, you have to it, it's what all uh, atrocities and terrible things are based on. And that is dehumanization. Right. You have to convince people that the life and who's being impacted is that actually not human or not fully human. And so I think that's the argument that's used by a lot of these people. So what's that? To, oh, that's not really a human being. That's just a clump of cells. That's an embryo. That's a fetus. But it's not a human being. And I think the point I was making is that's the only thing that that can ultimately become. And then their argument is, well, but they, they can't survive on their own. And, and, and so while there are a lot of people who are outside the womb that could not survive on their own, infants cannot survive on their own. Uh, many people who unfortunately face disabilities and other uh, serious setbacks cannot survive on their own without help and assistance. Are they less than alive? Are we prepared to say that's not a life? So there's a huge slippery slope there as well. But, but ultimately, it comes down to in order to justify something like this, you have to be able to argue that that's not human life. And, um, and that's something that needs to be called out as well. That's, that's exactly what it is, no matter what stage of development they're in. Look, it's a tough issue. I get it. Because, I mean, the circumstances oftentimes that are faced by people are very difficult ones. We shouldn't pretend that these are easy choices. But we have to give people real choices, including the choice of carrying a child without having it seem or feel like a burden, which is what oftentimes people are, are being told, that this is going to be an enormous burden. It's going to ruin your life. And we need to change that dynamic. You know, I think you really nailed it about the dehumanization, which is why they call it a clump of cells. If, if you sort of detach the human aspect of it, then it's easier to go through with one, you know? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, Democrats have obviously made this a, a big issue during the midterms. You know, they did that with the, the leak of the Dobbs opinion as well, draft, as well as uh, the Supreme Court's decision really galvanized young people, women to turn out. We're already seeing Democrats gear up on this issue you know, they launched a website targeting Republicans, you know, heading into Roe versus Wade uh, anniversary. Uh, they've also been successful in getting ballot measures, you know, here in Florida. It'll be on the ballot in 2024. They were successful in Ohio last November. Uh, you know, how do you think this issue will shape the presidential election? You know, I don't know. Um, to me, it's a tough one to analyze politically because I've never viewed this as a political issue. I've said this before and I really believe it. I think it's such a fundamental and core issue that I'd rather be right on abortion and lose than be wrong on it and win. And because I just think it's that fundamental uh, of an issue in terms of protecting human life and where it's going to lead us as a society. Ultimately, I think it's clear that there are a lot of people that are uncomfortable um, with government telling them what to do in general. They were uncomfortable when government was telling them what to do during the pandemic. And in a situation like this, they're uncomfortable as well. But when you're playing defense, when you're allowing your opponents to, to, portray this as people wanting to tell people what to do with their bodies. That's not the way I view it. I, I do not go into the saying, how can I control the decisions people make, women make, and so forth about pregnancies? What I go into the saying is, we have an, ob I, I, we have an obligation to protect human life. I view it from the, from the lens and the perspective of the unborn human being, not the, not, not the perspective of controlling people. So I think that part of the dynamic is explaining to people that, that the 
that, that if they don't want a six week ban or they don't want a 15 week or 21 or whatever it is, what, what, what restrictions would they support? Because they, they will never tell you what restrictions they support. They never will say it. And there's a reason why. And that is that the official position of the left, and they're never called out on it, is abortion on demand at, for any reason and, frank, and paid for by taxpayers. Let's take a quick commercial break. More with Senator Rubio on the other side. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we move on, should Republicans have a unified message on this? And, and if so, what should it be? Well, I don't know if something like this, you can have a unified message. The truth yeah. of the matter is that you have people that have different, this is not an issue that's uh, from a political standpoint, black and white. There are people that are in favor of a 15-week ban or 21 week or whatever it may be, but, uh, but, or a band, but with exceptions. So there's a wide variety of, of flavors here and, and uh, viewpoints. And if you want to be a majority party on, of people that agree on a bunch of stuff, but maybe have some differences of opinion as to how far these restrictions should go, then you know, you've got to accommodate that. So I don't know if we'll ever have a unified message. What I think we should be unified in is to unapologetically say, ultimately, look, abortion is not a good thing. Whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, we should agree that abortions are not therapeutic. They are not a good thing. They're not a cause for celebration. And irrespective of how you view it, we should all recognize that it is a tragic thing. And I think we should also recognize that what we're talking about here is the choice between protecting an unborn human life 
and the right of people to, of women to control what happens with their body. And that's the choice we're trying to make here and, and to balance that. And, and, and that, I think, is something. And, and the third thing we should be unified in is no matter how you feel about abortion, specific abortion restrictions, there has to be some restriction. There has to be some limitation, right? We're not otherwise we're dealing with infanticide. What is that limitation? Uh, we, we should all be unified in at least demanding that those who are against us detail what it is they would support as far as a limitation. And we don't do that enough. We never challenge or point to the media and say, you know, I'll answer your questions on this when you ask them what they're, what they're in favor of, what restriction they would support, because they won't support any restriction. They will never tell you what restriction they're for. You know, Senator, I, I want to move on to, to foreign policy. I know it's a, you know, you're very passionate about it. And I, and I want to, we want to hear from you on a bunch of these different issues. Um, you know, turning to the war in the Middle East, you know, President Biden is redesignated or is going to redesignate uh, Yemen's Iran-backed Houthis as a terrorist group. Uh, he removed them three years ago from the foreign terrorist organizations list. Uh, why did he do that in the first place? And, and what does that tell you about this administration's foreign policy? Well, there's a line of thinking in American politics. It was clear in the Obama years. I think there's holdovers of that in, in, in the Biden years as well. And generally along the West, and that is that America is generally always wrong. America is bad. America is a source of problems in the world. And so uh, we, we need to be apologetic about it. and We need to be accommodating. And so this idea that somehow, you know, if we're just nicer, if we would just admit that we've made mistakes, if we would just try to create space and accommodate enemies and people who have fundamentally different views of what they want the world to look like, that they're going to like us more and they're going to behave better. And I think that was part of the and I think the other part of it, frankly, is the Biden administration went in with a very clear mandate. And that is whatever Trump was for, we need to be against, even if it made sense. If he did it, we have to be the opposite of it. So I think it really begins with that. And uh, and so they've made these decisions that project weakness. And so but we live in the real world, uh, not governed by people that have these sort of guilt trips, but rather by people that are interested in the, that are focused on their national interest and ambitions. And they're going to act in their national interest and in furtherance of their ambitions, whether it's the Houthis or Iran or North Korea or Vladimir Putin and especially the Chinese. They don't care about all this other stuff. They're not interested and they don't care about public opinion or being popular at Davos. Uh, what they care about is what is in the interest of our country or our movement and we're going to do whatever it takes to further that. And so we hit that reality. And so, yeah, the Houthis are a – this is basically a band of pirates who now have uh, pretty sophisticated weapons provided to them by Iran and they now have the ability to target commercial shipping, which has the, poses the risk now of, of inflating prices all over the world and disrupting the flow of energy and the like. And, um, and it's interesting, you know, we are conducting military operations against the Houthis because they're threatening to blow up, blow up oil tankers. Uh, but I thought the Biden administration said we, need, we don't really need oil anymore. We should now rely on renewables. So, and, and, you know, I don't know why. They, they are basically protecting sources of global energy that they say are bad for the world and that we don't need any more of. So it just points to the hypocrisy of they know we need more energy. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why we're involved in protecting those shipping lanes, because of what it would mean to world energy prices. And, um, but, but I think this projection of weakness is an invitation for aggression. It always has been. That's human nature. That's been true throughout the 5,500 years of recorded history. And then we're seeing it again now. Well, and, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot of aggression in the Middle East. I mean, we've got Israel rightfully waging a war against Hamas after, you know, the those atrocities, the, the terror attacks. Um, now we've got Pakistan and Iran conducting strikes on each other in an unprecedented way. Uh, wh why is that happening? And, and what are you watching for between those two countries? And, and what are the concerns that this could spill out to a, a broader regional war? Well, that's going to be a long, it's kind of complicated. First of yeah. all, it is ironic. You know, the Iran 
had an attack conducted inside of Iran at a ceremony to remembrance of the criminal Soleimani, and it was conducted by ISIS. So now Iran is striking ISIS inside of Syria and Iraq and, uh, and, and also in places where they might be hiding out in Pakistan. So we are also enemies of ISIS, you know, and, and um, we have troops, a small number that remain in Iraq and in Syria to prevent a resurgence of ISIS. But the groups that Iran supports in those countries are attacking those troops that are there attacking ISIS while ISIS is attacking Iran and Iran is attacking ISIS back. So it is a complicated mess uh, of a situation in our hands. And um, the other thing that I think is really eventful this week is a bunch of people on the left going crazy because Netanyahu said, oh, we're not going to have a Palestinian state after this is over. Look, in a perfect world, in an ideal world, there would be an accommodation of some sort. I think that was and that's been something Israel's attempted multiple times. Here's the reality. Who would govern a Palestinian state? Because right now, the two groups that claim to speak for Palestinians, the Palestinian Authority in, in, uh, in Judea and Samaria and, and Hamas and Gaza, are both groups that teach little children that Jews are evil and that killing them is glorious. And in the case of Hamas, we've just seen the terrorist attacks they conducted. So how could any nation possibly be asked to endorse the creation of a neighboring state that will be governed by people who want to kill them as, openly, as their open stated goal? That is an unrealistic expectation. Now, maybe 100 years from now, maybe 50 years from now, the conditions will be different. But right now, it is unrealistic. Frankly, it is reckless to talk about turning over territory and standing up a nation state governed by people that want to kill you. No nation on earth would, would do that. And, uh, and so I don't know what's so controversial about Netanyahu saying that. As far as the broader conflict is concerned, yeah, it could spiral pretty quickly. And part of it is there is no deterrence. That The Iranians are not in any way worried because even as Joe Biden is responding by some of these uh, missile attacks against these Iranian-backed groups, really Iranian agents, who are attacking the U.S., we still have people trying to cut a deal with Iran. We still have people trying to meet with them and talk to them about how can we do a deal and bring back the, the Obama's Iran deal. So I think they view this as this is a country so desperate for peace that we can basically go as far as we want and, and not really face consequences because they're so desperate to cut a deal here. And, and I, so I think their version of what the red line is, is much further than what most Americans think it is. And the threat here is we get sucked into another regional conflict, uh, even though we don't want one. And, um, and, and I mean, th that's the reality. We now face two global wars, both of which are putting strain on our country and the threat of a third one potentially with Taiwan uh, and China. So it's a, it's a complicated time, but the projection of weakness from this administration has definitely contributed to it. Well, and one thing that's concerning is, you know, we're, we're, there was a morning consult poll that saw the or showed that support for Israel globally has dropped pretty significantly. We know that there's politics in play here, you know, a very divided Democrat party on this issue. We're seeing pro-Palestinian rallies in the United States, which, you know, are really pro-Hamas rallies, if you, know, right. you want to be honest. Uh, it, it, the rise of anti-Semitism, this hatred of, of the United States as well. So, you know, how did we get to this point where... There are so many people on the left and, you know, that hate the United States, that hate Israel, that, you know, hate things that are righteous. Yeah, I, I think there's three things happening that we need to point to. The first is anti-Semitism. It is an ancient poison. It affects a lot of societies. And Israel is a Jewish state. And so first and foremost, I think that underlines a lot of this. I think the second is anti-Western. In essence, Israel is a Western culture, uh, culture and country. They're a democracy. And so I think there's this idea that anything that's Western is evil and bad. And all of this third, supported by a global media, global elites, global corporate entities, uh, international organisms, who are all aligned in a narrative. 
right? And the narrative is, yes, it is terrible what happened to the Israelis, but they kind of deserved it, right? Because they, they, they've been killing Palestinians for a long time. And what they're doing now is way overboard. It goes way too far what they're doing now. These are the same people, by the way, that don't dare speak a word about the fact that the Chinese take Uyghur Muslims and put them in work camps and concentration camps and committing genocide. They don't, there's no talk of that. Um, there's no talk of uh, the horrible atrocities that are committed by the Iranian regime or anybody else. Very little discussion about it. So I think we need to recognize that there is this anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Western movement in the world uh, that finds its home in the Marxist left. And that, frankly, you know, our fellow travelers on this stuff, it's not a surprise that these anti-Western elements that have been telling people forever, America's evil because Europeans and the Western culture is evil and uh, are the same ones that are now out there, you know, fomenting uh, this pro-Hamas, anti-Israel position in our domestic politics. Quick break. Have so much more to ask Senator Rubio. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You had mentioned Taiwan and, and China. You know, one thing that we've seen happen under this administration is China, Iran, and Russia have all grown closer uh, under Biden's watch. You know, what does that mean for our future as a country and also for the future of the world? Well, I think that's probably the single biggest geopolitical development of the last two or three years. And that is this growing. It's, a, it's not an, an alliance like a NATO. It is a, 
confederation of countries uh, who have different specific ambitions but share a common goal. And that is that they want the world to a world in which America and its allies are less influential and they are more influential. China obviously is the head of that, but the Russians have folded in underneath it. The, the North Koreans have seen benefit in it, the Iranians as well, and a host of other countries, uh, some you know, uh, to varying degrees, who would want to see a world that is less, uh, in which America and our allies are less relevant, less powerful, less influential, and they have more influence and more power. And that's the movement that we now see and developing. And so under Biden, they see the perfect opportunity, right? Because they see someone who projects weakness, both personally and also in our decisions that we're making. You know, when you are out there basically on your knees begging to do a deal with Iran, you're projecting weakness. You're projecting the, 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 this, this desperate desire to accommodate them at any cost. And, and for people who have tyrannical views, that, you know, it's so hard for us because we have been raised to think that People, anyone can sit down and work anything out. If you just talk through it, we can work anything out. That we have forgotten a fundamental lesson of history is that sometimes you can't work things out. You know, sometimes whether it was Napoleon, whether it was Hitler, whether it was uh, Mussolini in North Africa, whether throughout history, there's the reality that there are ambition, national ambitions and national interests and that the leaders of those societies, those cultures and those countries will pursue them and there is no accommodation with them. And so the only language they understand is deterrence and strength. And, and it isn't just the threat of war. It is the, the, the commitment, you know, the, the, the attitudinal approach to it. It's one of the things that I think really helped Trump for all the criticism he used to get. I think there was a perception that we don't know what this guy's going to do, but it's not good for us. I, I promise you, I can tell you this. When Soleimani was struck, it had an, it, the Iranians complained. They threatened. They did their press conferences. They launched a few rockets. But, you know, the next guy, nobody knows who the next guy, nobody, he's, the next leader of the IRGC is not nearly as famous. You know why? Because he, he didn't want to be identified as the next leader. It could be him. It, it, it influenced their, their actions because they honestly believed that there was somebody in the presidency who might actually do things, not just do some press conference and talk about international norms. So, you know, that, that I think has been a real big problem here is that Biden projects weakness, both in his actions and, and personally. And, and, and that's always dangerous for a country like ours. Yeah, I appreciate your mentioning, you know, us being kind of naive in the way we perceive the the rest of the world. I've interviewed Sean Parnell on here, you know, former Army Ranger, American hero. And he said even our friends, you know, were behaving in like in medieval ways in Afghanistan, you know, so it's like, you know, we we, we kind of are a little bit naive sometimes in, in thinking that everyone just, you know, we can just work it out or we can just give them money or, or whatever and it's all going to be okay. Um you know, you mentioned Trump and foreign policy. I mean, he really honestly probably was one of the better, if not one of the best foreign policy presidents we've had. Uh, you've endorsed him. Um, is that one of the reasons? And 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 what are you looking at heading into 2024? You know, I don't remember the last time that the majority of Americans felt like the country was heading in the right direction. I don't remember when that was. Certainly hasn't been in the lifetime of my four children, three of whom are no longer children. And uh, they've never known a country in which the majority felt we're heading in the wrong direction. This country's broken. Our institutions are broken. Our economy's broken. You know, the majority of Americans no longer believe this is a place where you can, anyone has a chance to get ahead. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, we've, we've turned our culture into uh, the, we celebrate the vulgar, the ridiculous, the obscene and absurd. And so, and then we're shocked that, you know, one out of 10, over one out of 10 men in America have a felony record. We, life expectancy has collapsed uh, because of suicides and, and, and overdoses. We have children, 15, 16, 17 years of age with high rates of mental illness and so forth, winding up in our hospitals. 
there's so much broken in our country and our foreign policy. We're now have two wars, as I said, and the threat of a third one with Taiwan. This is a big mess and it's going to require big solutions. Big solutions are not easy because you're going to get resistance from special interests who are vested in the status quo. You're going to get resistance from the bureaucracy that will create every impediment imaginable to stop you from doing these things. You're going to get extraordinary criticism from all the so-called experts and the columnists and commentators on television. They're going to call you all kinds of horrible things. So it takes a leader who doesn't care about those things, that breaks through all those things to actually do things. And I saw Trump do it. I saw it firsthand. For example, when we did the child tax credit, he had to take on the orthodoxy of the Republican Party on that and on trade, for example, and didn't care. When we did measures on Cuba and Venezuela, the amount of complaints that he got from vested interests, in addition to the commentary class, was extraordinary. And he plowed right through it. He never let the bureaucrats get in the way of taking action. We're going to need that. We're going to need to make this country has big problems that require big solutions, some of which are going to be hard and uncomfortable. Like, what do you do with five or six million people that have entered this country just in the last three years and are here illegally? We are going to have to deport people. And we've never had to deport that many people, but we're going to have to do it. Or this is going to get worse and it's going to continue. That's not going to be easy. And so I think that one of the things that one of the reasons why we need Trump back in the White House is because I know he will do those things. He will not cow down to the media pressure or the special interests or the or the uh, bureaucracy, whether it's on foreign policy or domestic. And, and we are this is a time where we need some big changes before it's too late. And I just think he gives us the best chance to do it. He's done it before, and I believe he'll do it again. He's the right person at the right time to do that. You know, I, I agree with what you just said um, and the way you laid it out with the, the message there. And I think we went on the messaging. My concern is the mechanics. And, you know, elections have really changed since COVID with mail-in balloting, ballot harvesting. Do you think do you think we're doing enough at, you know, the RNC, at the NRCC, at the NRSC to combat the Democrats mechanics of well, you know getting ballots turned in? I think it's, it depends on the state. You know, our, in our country, elections are conducted at a state by state basis. So you have some states that basically went all out and basically, I mean, to not exaggerate here, but basically mailed ballots to everybody and said, here's your ballot. And uh, they, they didn't only make it easy to vote. They almost like, you know, stuck a ballot in your face and said, here it is. Go do it. Do it now. Do it here. And anytime you do something like that, especially if you've never done it before, at a minimum, you're going to have problems and glitches. But you're also going to undermine public confidence. People are going to look at it and say, well, what, you know, just simply simple things like the fact that you have in-person voting going one way and then all of a sudden all these mail ballots come in, even if they're all legitimate, for example. The reasonable people are going to say, hold on a second, how can it be that all of a sudden this thing flipped overnight? It feels weird. You're undermining credibility. In other states, frankly, there, there are no laws whatsoever. I mean, you can show up on election day. You can register right there and then. Um, they do very little. They care very little about the integrity of the elections. I mean, some of these people don't even want you to show an ID to vote. You can't even get on an airplane without an ID, for God's sake. But you can vote, you know, and determine the future of our country. So I think it really depends on a state-by-state basis. Um, which state we're talking about and which states uh, we're dealing with here. But I do think you kind of reach a tipping point as well, where no matter what they do, and no matter how much they try to do on the margins, I think there are more than enough American voters who remember what life was like in this country before COVID, when Trump was in the White House, and they remember our economy was stronger, our nation was stronger, we didn't have wars going on all over the place, we felt less threatened. And really, the only you know, controversy that was going on was that the media was going nuts about how much they hated Trump. That was the real controversy domestically manufactured by them. And I think there are enough voters out there that recognize this. And then they look at Biden's been a colossal disaster. And every cent from the border to the economy, everything costs more. Uh, labor participation is flat. The border's out of control. 
We have two wars going on. The world feels uncertain and unsafe. I, I think there are plenty of people out there that recognize that uh, to, to more than make up for you know whatever's wrong in a handful of these states. And, and, and uh, but yeah, we do need to be more vigilant and call these things out and not be embarrassed to call out places where the integrity and the confidence in our elections are undermined by the actions of, of those who are in charge of running them. You know, hear, hearing you lay all that out, it's like, man, I, I can't believe so much has changed for the worse in uh, such a short period of time. You know, Senator, uh, you've been so gracious with your time today. I want to be respectful of your schedule. Uh, we just truly appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the show. And hey, thank thanks. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I hope to come back one day. Yep. And thank you for representing the great state of Florida. It's been a great honor to do it. But, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm very proud of our state and everything it's done and is doing. And, and um, like every state, like I wish our property insurance was a little lower. You know, I, I wish our auto insurance rates were a little lower, but I still wouldn't trade it for any of these other places. Um, you know, I was in at a CVS in Washington, D.C. about a month ago. I don't know why I had to go in there. I had eye drops at nine o'clock at night. And these people just walking in and taking stuff out of the cooler where the drinks were, like if it was their home refrigerator, just walking out the door, like it was just normal just to steal from the CVS. And uh, I felt terrible for the poor man, the cashier, uh, who ended up telling me he was an immigrant from, I believe, uh, Kenya. And it's like, yeah, I can't do anything about it. I mean, as long as they don't have a weapon, they tell us not to call the police. I'm not saying that never happens in Florida, but boy, you don't see it like you do in these other places. I'm just glad I live in a normal place. I hope we can get back to living in a normal country. I, I, I do too, Senator. So prayers for 2024. I hope people you know, wake up and, and, and turn out. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for your time, sir. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. I, I did as well. Thank you for having me. That was Senator Marco Rubio from the great state of Florida. Really appreciate him giving us so much time. That was really kind of him and his team. I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.